You're listening to the Influencer Podcast, episode number 51. Before we jump into today's show, let's quickly chat taxes. Tis the season, after all. Today's episode is sponsored by the wonderful people at Tax Act, providing affordable digital and downloadable tax software, who makes navigating the world of tax and finance manageable. It's a tool that can make life easier when it comes to tax season and the whole year, actually. Whether you're a blogger, YouTuber, independent contractor, photographer, or any kind of influencer or freelancer, taxes are usually overwhelming, especially in your first year or two on your own. Been there. But it doesn't have to be something that you dread and push off until the very last day. Again, been there. You see, when I made the jump to running my own business, I had very little knowledge of where to begin. That left me with underestimating how much I'd owe, constantly stressing and feeling uneducated, and quite frankly, a hot mess in terms of how to organize my expenses. Are you nodding your head and currently in the same boat? (laughs) If so, the amazing tool that is Tax Act is here to help. Tax Act lets you run your hustle while seamlessly keeping things in order for you. From helping you calculate and pay your quarterly estimated payments to providing a variety of self-employment resources, they assist with all things tax. With Tax Act, taxes don't need to be this major frustration. In fact, it takes most of the guesswork and small tasks out of your hands. Hallelujah! So if you're ready to say goodbye to worrisome tax questions, want to maximize your deductions, have zero clue where to start, or simply seek to improve your already knowledgeable tax skills, then Tax Acts can make a blessing in your business, all from the comfort of your phone or desktop, might I add, and for a very responsible price. So be sure to visit my friends at Tax Act and see how they can help your business and influence from here on out. Last week, we had my dear friend Sterling Griffin on for our 50th episode, and I gotta say, it did not disappoint. If you missed that show, do yourself a favor and listen to it. Sterling is one of the most inspiring people I've ever met, and without giving too much away, he shares his story of going from being homeless to a seven-figure salary within two years. Incredible, right? This week, we have the amazing Laurel Mintz on the show to help us navigate the ins and outs of really taking our online dreams and turning them into an actual business. That's right, my friends. Today, we are talking taxes, contracts, invoices, and really how to legitimize the business that we're building online. Make sure to stay tuned. Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. Each week, Julie Solomon, a marketing strategist and New York Times bestselling publicist, takes you behind the scenes with successful influencers, bloggers, and industry elites in conversation to share how they engage, persuade, and grow their unique influence. Her mission is to share exclusive insider tips, wisdom, and action-based tools to help you strengthen, monetize, and build your own industry-leading influence. Hello, influencers, and welcome to this week's episode. I am so excited to introduce Laurel Mintz to the Influencer Podcast today. Laurel is the founder and managing director of Elevate My Brand, a creative marketing company where her and her team develop and execute comprehensive marketing strategies. Elevate My Brand gives clients knowledge and skill to guide you smoothly through the, at times, daunting marketing processes, helping to develop tools and innovative marketing plans that help people reach their target audience generate visibility, and boost profitability. 
Among her career, which also ex- includes extensive intellectual property and corporate t- transactional experience, Laurel's passion for food, wine, and lifestyle brands have garnered her great respect and responsibility. From the production and promotion of high-profile buzz-generating special events to her own column called On Brand in Inc. Magazine, consulting for consumer brands, studying law, and now leading digital marketing and event planning at Elevate My Brand, Laurel has seen marketing from all angles. Laurel has been a recipient of the Los Angeles Business Journal Women Making a Difference Award in 2014 and a keynote speaker for the Women in Business Enterprise Conference that same year. Just to name a couple of her long list of honors, bottom line, this woman has worked her butt off and it shows. From how to set yourself up like a true business as an influencer, including what that means legally, and how to get noticed by brands, I can't wait for you guys to hear what this brilliant Los Angeles woman has to say today. So hello, Laurel, and welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited for this. I know, um, you know, we were just talking about this um, off air, but this has been a long time coming. You and I had the privilege of meeting earlier last year at a conference and really hit it off. And we Mm -hmm. love to have our Wine Fridays where we talk (laughs) and more fun. Um, So I'm so glad to have you on. You know, as I mentioned earlier, and I wasn't... um, you know, fibbing at all. You are such a wealth of knowledge in so many different aspects, not only to the influencer space, but really just to the the broader marketing and business space, especially in this day and age, 2018. Um, so I cannot wait for everyone to hear from you today. And what I really want to talk about is your keen understanding of what a multi-channel marketing strategy is. Um, I know that you've said this to me. Most people don't even know what the heck that is, never mind how to actually devise it, implement it, and measure it to their business and to their success. So I would love for you if you want to dive into kind of what that means, why we need it as influencers, and kind of how you, you've been able to cultivate your business to really bring that multi-channel marketing strategy to fruition. Absolutely. It is the most important thing to talk about absolutely in this conversation because people are so good usually at one thing. And the truth is, is that in this day and age, you need to build a comprehensive brand. Nobody knows this better than you do, Julie. Of course, you've built such a fabulous brand, but a multi-channel marketing strategy really is all things digital and all things offline as well. So you're looking at everything from your web presence, social, all of your content, your creative, advertising, um, and then all the offline. So launch events, trade shows, conferences, conferences, influence marketing events, all of those and how they really comprehensively tie together so that you're maximizing your dollar spend. Because let's face it, most brands and most individual influencers don't have millions and millions of dollars that a company like Coke or Pepsi do. So we have to make sure that we're using those dollars really, really wisely. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. And I would love to know if, if someone is kind of just starting out, they have no team, they have no budget, how can they start to, you know, for lack of a better word, grassroots this to kind of start building multi-channels for themselves so they can essentially get to a place where a brand or an agency could bring them on to do more? Uh, a great question. And I would say they have to have some budget. So I know that like a giant budget when you're just starting out is not um, realistic, but you know more than anyone, again, that it is pay to play right now in the social sphere. So to build your audience in that respect, you need to have a little bit of a budget and you can test 
really small spends, especially on Facebook and Instagram and other platforms to see what resonates best with your audience to grow that audience. And then of course, as you know, it's all about great content, but there are so many really inexpensive tools out there to build your web presence. Um, you've got, you know, the WordPresses of the world, which there's so many free um, skins that you can use. Now it's not always the easiest to build your own site. So sometimes it's worth spending a couple hundred dollars to have someone go in and help you code it. Um, but you can get away with a lot for very little. And then other than um, building the actual platforms yourself, which really are all about the, the authentic personality and the target audience and being very clear about who that is, um, it's about building relationships. So how do you tap into the network that you've built or the network that you're trying to build and start to um, devise relationships, whether they be content marketing partnerships or vet partnerships, where you are giving a little to get a little so that everyone wins. And I love that you touched on that because you use, you use the term pay to play. And I want to dive deeper in that with you because you have such a keen understanding of this that, you know, I'd even asked you kind of what you see as a challenge for influencers who are really, and when I, you know, I think when I think of an influencer, I'm really thinking like the the person that comes into the space wanting to build a a business out of this, right? Like Mm -hmm. a a long-term legitimate brand. You said one of the challenges that you've seen from your side of things is people not really understanding that pay for play idea. So I would love for you to kind of explain a little bit more by what you mean to that, which you just kind of touched on and how people can start doing this, not only from more of a literal standpoint of, you know, investing into themselves and investing into their business, but also in a way that is uh, networking and building those relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Well, pay to play is the unfortunate state of digital marketing that we exist in the uh, infinite wisdom of Google and Facebook and Instagram, and their constantly changing algorithms mean that we as marketers and influencers as individuals have to really be smart about how they spend the dollars. But the bottom line is there has to be some dollar spend. And really, like I said earlier, you can test very, very small ad campaigns, and then you can use those to develop a press kit or a media kit or one sheet that express how well you know your audience. So testing $5 a day on, uh, on Instagram on, and testing two different ads, doing A-B testing, which I know you've done quite a bit of, um, will help you understand better the voice of your brand and will allow you to build that audience both from the organic standpoint because you're making really great content and then from the pay-to-play standpoint because you're pushing out content um, to new uh, eyeballs and growing your visibility. And the more you do those in conjunction with each other, the broader your audience will be. And the bigger your audience gets, the more respect and um, uh, attention you'll get from these other brands. And then you can start to build out your, your true business plan um, and marketing model based on um, that strategy. But I think the most important thing that you said in that conversation was that you have to think of your brand like a business. And I think that that is a failure for a lot of influencers. They get really excited about, um, you know, all of these, all of the followers and all of the engagement that they get, and they don't think about it like a business. I think that is actually the most important thing that you said in that question. Well, and and I agree. And I think that it kind of goes back to what you're touching on, which is really, you know, strategy, which is, which is a huge part, but, but also just kind of the, the proper setup of a business and Mm. one that I think knows that, 
so extremely well. Um, you're one of the people that just has really been able to hone in that, on that, not only for yourself, but with the amazing brands and clients that you work with. And so if you could kind of walk us through very generally, like a business setup one-on-one, because that's a lot of the keys that I think that, you know, either people dive into this space and, and they kind of grow really quickly. And so they, they don't really have the time to get the ducks in a row in, in the beginning. And then they're kind of backpedaling or they just don't really have the know-how. And so Mm -hmm. then they find themselves, you know, in a lot of kind of sticky situations as they continue to grow and build because they don't have that, that groundwork, so to speak. So I would love to know kind of what, what your ideal walkthrough would be of a business setup and, and really kind of letting the influencers that are listening, knowing that they set themselves up in, in this way that you're about to share, it's really going to help them in the long run. So I think the foundation, as you mentioned, is so critical. And really from my perspective, that starts with legal. You and I have had this conversation before. Influencers don't typically set themselves up as a company. Now that can be either a corporation, it can be an S corp, or it can be um, a general corp, or it can be an LLC. But the reason that you want to set up an actual company in a structure like that, a legal structure, is because um, there are some liability issues, right? Especially when you're dealing with um, some big brands, God forbid something happens with the brand or you say something wrong and the brand comes after you. The reason that you have a corporate setup is so that there is a limitation of liability between you as the individual and your company as its own entity. Um, So that's one piece of it. The other piece is, of course, the taxation issues, which I highly suggest everyone talk to a CPA about how they're going to pay themselves, what they expect their revenue streams to look like so they can make an informed decision about whether an LLC or a corp is the right um, formation for them. Um, And then I think the most important piece of this is that when you set yourself up as a business from the start, you start to treat yourself as a business. It actually shifts the way that you think about yourself as a company. And I have seen this time and again, I've set up probably... 50 to 70 companies in my day, because as you mentioned, I'm, I was a corporate attorney in a previous life and still use some of that today. Um, but as soon as we've had small companies come to us or individuals come to us and had us set up um, their corporation or their LLC, the revenue stream just immediately, almost immediately increases because it's a shift in mentality that is so necessary. I would completely agree with you because I have a lot of people um, within the network or even students of mine in my course and, and so on and so forth who who kind of get, um, I don't know if it's if it's just fear, you know, they, they don't really understand the proper setup or if mm-hmm. it's um, kind of like an insecurity with them that they, that they seem to kind of resist that step for a really long time. They want to stay, you know, below the $600 mark so they don't have to quote unquote pay taxes on, on certain um, deals because they say if you make less than $600 then it's not taxable or right. they want to get more gifted product because then they don't have to, you know, they, they try, it's not really obviously tax evasion, but more kind of like a tax avoidance. But mm. to me, I feel like that it's just, like delegitimizing their opportunity to really kind of own, to take ownership of what they're trying to build. 
Yeah, I think you're exactly right. It's fear-based, right? People are scared to treat themselves like a business. And it's still a little bit wild, wild west out there as it relates to influencers. So I think that it's definitely a little bit fear-based. It's definitely a little bit about knowing your worth as an influencer. And it's also a little bit about, I think, brand pressure, right? We're, we have so many opportunities out there that there is almost too many places to look. And so you, we, we see people throw their hands up and they go, well, I'm just going to let it, I'm just going to let the chips fall where they may. And it's really the wrong approach. Absolutely. And I think that one thing that I, that I'm so excited to, to jump into with, with you now is that the one thing that a lot of times, I mean, of course, like how do I monetize? That's the question you always hear all the time. Right. But Mm -hmm. I love how your, your, your knowledge in this space can kind of let let us take that question one step farther, because I think that once an influencer starts to kind of understand how to monetize themselves, a lot of the issues that may also come up is that they don't know how to, as you say, like get the money, right. My friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support. You need to grow. You need to scale. You need a marketing strategy. You need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on. So you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff. And it's called This is Small Business. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale, This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business for sponsoring the show. So I would Mm -hmm. love for you to kind of share like, you know, what kind of like your, your tip to long-term growth is that like, you got to get your money right. What does that mean? And how do we do this in a more effective way? Oh my gosh, that's such a loaded question. Um, You know, because it's all about the dollars and cents of it, really. At the end of the day, if you are really going to be an influencer that is going to have significant impact in your market, dealing with real brands, you need to get your money right. And so that to me is about building out a team around you. And this is the same conversation that we're just having around legal. People get so scared to have the money conversation for themselves with the brands that they're targeting. So hiring a bookkeeper when you're ready, when you're really starting to um, make some actual money, making sure you have a CPA that you can even just have a quick conversation with once or twice a month as necessary, or even just an advisor that is financially um, uh, savvy to help you understand what you need to be looking at. And then of course, it's about being really serious about what do you want to do with your, with your revenue, making projections. So I want to make a million dollars this year. Okay. Well, what does that mean quarter over quarter? What does that mean month over month? What does that mean? If my pay scale is X, how many brands do I need to get in to hit that Y goal? And how many conversations do I need to have and how many proposals need to go out and so on and so forth. So it's actually really about the numbers in a greater sense than just the dollars themselves. It's about backing into that final dollar goal amount and holding yourself accountable to that every month and every quarter. And if you can't afford a bookkeeper, there are amazing QuickBook tools out there that do 
uh, that run reports so that you can look at your profit and loss statements. You can look at how those um, revenues are allocated across your expense. I mean, it's just amazing what is capable online for, for not a whole lot of money. So people don't have an excuse anymore. Well, and I love that you brought that up because it's it's so true and, and even kind of reminding those that may be listening today that there's no, you know, a lot of people I feel like they kind of like wait for the quote unquote right time to start, but the more that they can start to to retrain their brain to think this way and get it more ingrained in their system. Like you said, like even if they're just starting out and they don't have a huge budget to necessarily hire a team to help building, to help build them up at that time, you should still be able to probably manage a lot of this by yourself or with some kind of online system. And so I think that it's really about, you know, when you make that commitment to say, I'm going to turn this into a business, I'm going to really build something legitimate here, going ahead and having those conversations with yourself, getting a plan in place. Like you said, like really just being resourceful. I remember in college, I used to use Oprah Winfrey. She had this thing called the debt diet. Yes. And it was like, this is how much money you're supposed to allocate towards rent and towards savings and towards student loans to get yourself out of debt. Dave Ramsey is another guy who is amazing at helping people try to strategize like where they should be putting their money. And so I think that it's really about these influencers really taking, again, taking ownership of their money and really seeing it as a positive thing and empowering themselves to, to kind of ride that way for themselves and really own it until they get to a place that, you know, if they start getting so busy, then I would assume they're starting to make, you know, more income, more incomes being mm-hmm. generated in that they could start to hire out to. So, you know, they could essentially replace themselves at, out of having to manage that every single day for themselves. But, but the act doing it should be something that is extremely important to an influencer's career and should be starting in the beginning. Yeah, it needs to be a conscious conversation. And the best way to do that, honestly, aside from, you know, setting out your revenue goals and backing into those numbers that I mentioned, is putting an advisory board around you. Talk to people who have built what you are trying to build or have experience and expertise in areas that you do not that are willing to um, be the person you can lean on or call or email if you have questions. No, you know, I didn't build this all. I mean, I built the company on my own, but I had an amazing advisory board when I had no clue what I was doing. I could pick up the phone and say, Hey guys, um, is this the right amount that I'm supposed to be charging for this? Or is this the right time for me to be hiring? I could have those really intelligent conversations with people that had really the right answers. And that was part of the um, foundation of my success, I believe. I love that. And and I think that that a lot of people would would agree with you about that being the foundation of just, just having people that they can, that they know that they can trust, that they can rely on to kind of be a sounding board to say, you know, am I doing this right? Should I try a different thing? Should I test something else out? And I think that it's really a good point to kind of remind us. Um, one of those things that kind of leads me into the next question that I wanted to talk to you about was the importance of contracts and the importance mm. of anything. Because that is, those are two things that I have seen time and time again, whether it's students or people listening to the podcast that will dive into some kind of deal with a brand, not have a contract in place, and then they either don't get paid or they don't get paid until six months later 
later or they kind of halfway get paid, but it's not the full amount that was originally agreed upon. Um, they don't, you know, they don't have their invoicing in check. So there's no kind of system or flow to kind of keep themselves accountable with the money coming in. And then, you know, they're kind of stuck. And so sometimes they'll ask around, like, what should I do? And that's been a lot of times people will come to me and I'm like, well, you absolutely need a contract and this is why. So I would mm-hmm. love to get your thoughts since this is such your area of expertise to let us know the importance of contracts and invoicing and kind of what a contract in a very generic sense should at least at the bare minimum look like and what kind of language should it have in it? Well, you know that I really believe in legal foundation. My background, as you mentioned, was as a corporate M&A attorney, and I certainly still use that skill set to this day. Um, it's really nice to have because let me tell you, people don't mess with you and they know you're a lawyer, which is awesome. But in terms of developing a foundational contract, what's happening right now in the legal world um, are flat fee um, flat fee legal work. So you can find someone that can do a contract for not a whole lot of money. And I think that that again, comes back to that fear conversation, which is people don't do what they're, what they're afraid of. And I think people are so used to thinking lawyers are charging 500, 600, $800 an hour, and they're, they just don't want to deal with it. So the first thing I would say is find an attorney or even look online um, that can do a flat fee basic contractor agreement for you. And within the terms of that contractor agreement are all the basics, right? So um, what what is the term, meaning how long is this contract in place for? What are the terms regarding payment? So do you get a percentage up front? Do you get um, it all up front? Is there a percentage that you get if you increase their following by X or so on and so forth. So there are a a bunch of specific terms that are relevant to your specific deal. And then there are generic terms or what we call boilerplate language. And those are the things that everyone needs to have. So things like what happens if this goes sour, you know, are you guys going to go to arbitration? Are you going straight to court or mediation? What happens um, if Someone thinks that I'm using uh, someone else's trademark. You know, there are all these foundational pieces that are or should be in everyone's contract. And contracts don't need to be that scary. They just need to have a very simple foundational contract that outlines those few things. And I know you have a really great contract. I've got a contract that I've been working on and and fine tuning for years. Um, And as you go through the process, that's what you do. You fine tune based on the ups, you know what I mean? Like you, things happen and you think, Oh shoot, I didn't have that in my contract. I need to now tweak that to make sure that it is as comprehensive as possible. So certainly there are some foundational pieces like limitations of liability, the terms related to your specific deal, um, the state of law, uh, things like that. And I won't, I know people are listening are probably falling asleep, <laughs> listening to the boilerplate legal language. Um, but it's, so important because as you said, you're going to get in trouble at some point, you're going to get in trouble. And honestly, it's like when you get in trouble is when you know, you've kind of made it. And then you kind of have to backpedal into fixing the problem, but then you're not going to do it again. That's for sure. So uh, contracts are absolutely critical at the very least, a simple contractor agreement needs to be in place before you engage with a brand. And what's really cool, Julie, is that most brands have a standard agreement. So you can say, you can pretend that, you know, you've got your, your stuff together and you can say, Hey, if you could just send me over your contractor agreement, I'll have my team look at it and red mine and we'll get back to you. And then you can start to build your contract based on one that, you know, is already really solid. 
I love that. That is such a great tip and takeaway because I think a lot of times the bloggers or influencers, they don't know where to go. They don't know what to say. And I think that kind of putting it back on the brand, because as you said, I mean, nine times out of 10, a company is going to have some kind of, of jargon mm-hmm. that they can send over and then you can kind of adjust as you see fit. And I wanted to ask you about something because a lot of times when I'm talking about contracts with influencers or bloggers, they'll say to me, well, you know, emails hold up in court. So I'm just not going to worry about that because it's in the email. I want you to kind of give me your thoughts on that. Well, it depends on the state you're in, of course. Um, It's important to have a paper trail, certainly. And if you have really good relationships with the brands, I would say that sometimes that is okay if you already have a foundational contract in place. Um, It also kind of comes back to the conversation you're having about um, creating a structure for your business entity, which is if you're just going willy nilly and going back and forth via emails, the brands aren't going to take you that seriously. If you have a contract in place, you're treating yourself like a business and they're going to respect you more and probably pay you more as well. So certainly paper trails are helpful as evidence of um, mutual agreement. And there are um, some foundational pieces that are required to you know, quote unquote, create a contract. And that is that the parties mutually agree on the terms that there is what's called consideration given. So you're giving them something in exchange for them giving you something, whether that's money, um, engagement, uh, an event, whatever that looks like. But the problem with having it just back and forth via email is that someone in court, if it goes there, can raise their head and say, nope, that's not what I actually meant by that email. So it's a kind of a yes and no answer. It's a little wishy-washy. But the truth is, is the contract needs to be put in place and then the emails can be evidentiary support if an issue arises. I, I love that you said that because to me, I feel like, you know, the, the, paper, the paper trail is great to have, but it shouldn't replace a contract. And no, so definitely love, not. Yeah, I love that you touched on that. Um, and, and speaking of, because I wanted to dive into something else, um, because it's something that I get asked about a lot from fellow influencers and bloggers out there. And it's something that unfortunately happened to me in my business. Um, I want to talk about copywriting issues for a moment. Because mm-hmm. it's come up a lot in this influencer space. Um you know, and, you know, I actually had a student who took my course, Pitch It Perfect, and then ended up basically verbatim copying and pasting all of the worksheets, the templates, the modules, you have it, and just, you know, kind of tweaked it, I guess, and, you know, whatever it is that that person ended up doing, I luckily had other students that saw that and then brought that to my attention, and it it was great, but I remember being in that moment and saying, oh my gosh, like, I've never had to deal with this before. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't really know what to do. So, of course, I talked to you about it. (laughs) And (laughs) I would love if you could kind of walk through, like, what are the steps when someone feels that their work has been copied? What is really considered copyright infringement? What is not? And what are the steps that you can take after that may happen? And then also, what are the steps that you can take to kind of prevent, if possible, yourself from having to go through that? Yeah, this is a really big issue, especially in such a digital era. And, you know, I feel like it's almost as as disheartening as it is when someone does that. It's almost like when the gay rumors happen for an actor, right? It's like, then you've made it. When someone wants to copy you, you know, you're doing the right, you're on the right path. That doesn't make it feel any better, of course. Um, But to answer your question, copyright law is an implied law. Um, And it was created that way because 
there are so many different creative outlets from writing a play to poetry, to books, to web copy, to all of those things. Um, so there is an implied right of copyright um, uh, on any original work that you or anyone may draft. There is the ability to actually file for copyright through the USPTO, the US Patent and Trademark Office. Um, but I would say it's very challenging in a digital world to really protect yourself through, um, legally protect yourself in that way. What I would say is a more efficient way of um, making sure that you're covering your butt is when something like that arises, make sure that you're taking as many screenshots as possible so that you can prove, again, a paper trail, that someone is in fact infringing on the work and the creativity that you have uniquely created. And then I would say um, you have to hire a lawyer to send a nasty lawyer letter. Uh, nine times out of 10, it will end there because you're just trying to scare someone into realizing that you're taking this extremely seriously. Um, and unfortunately, it's so challenging to go after people. Uh, it costs a lot of money, but it is important for you to stand up for yourself when you see that infringement happening. So I would say it's, um, it's a really challenging kind of gray area, especially in the digital world, but um, making sure that you're screenshotting, creating that paper trail, having a dialogue with that person and letting them know that you're conscious that they're doing it and that you have hired a lawyer or have a lawyer draft an ask letter that lines out the timeline. That's the most important thing that you can do. And usually that will be the end of it and they'll back off. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, I love that you gave the tip of just kind of like even reaching out. I know that when I had to kind of deal with that for the first time, I, I, I did exactly what you said. I took screen grabs. I actually had screen screen grabs sent to me by the other student that was like, I don't know if you've seen this, but this is happening. And then mm -hmm. I was able to, you know, reach out to that person and say, I've gotten this information. Um, this is kind of an infringement on my creative work. And we were kind of able somewhat to take care of it to that degree. Um, but I think that really just kind of letting them know that you are aware of it is, is the most important step. Um, yeah. What are some legal bounds to um, when it may come out like that? Because I've seen, not that it's happened within me or, or my community, but I've seen it on various Facebook groups or what have you that let's say a blogger feels like another blogger has copied their blog post content or their work and they start to publicly bash them. Mm. What is, I mean, because then you kind of get into defamation and it can kind of get a little wonky. So, you know, how do you navigate that um, with, you know, publicly calling them out versus just kind of handling it in more of a private matter? And what are the legal ramifications of those? Well, if it's, a tr if it's true, then you are fairly safe. But the question is, are you then damaging their reputation in return by calling them out publicly? Um, I, I really think it's a respect issue. And I think it's also... Um, you need to take time to breathe and think about does that actually bring value to your brand or not? I've actually had moments like this where I've, I've felt like someone was doing just that and I wanted to just blast them publicly, but I realized, you know what? The reason that they're doing what they're doing is because they don't have an original thought in their body. And, and that means that they're not going to be able to go as far as I am with the content and what I'm doing with my brand. And you know what? That's really sad for them. So I think it take, you have to take, try and take the emotion out of it because you don't want to make it bigger than it is. 
Now that said, from a PR standpoint, sometimes those kinds of battles, which you've seen between celebrities very publicly, um, can actually increase your following and increase your um, your engagement and your clout. It really depends on what kind of brand you are and how you want to be perceived by your public. So I think if you are, um, you know, really young and catty and that's kind of your energy and your, and your attitude and your brand, then maybe calling them out publicly will uh, not damage your brand. But if you're more sophisticated and you're dealing with more sophisticated brands, it's probably not going to look really good. So I would think twice about calling someone out publicly in that way. Yep. And I, I would agree. And I love that you said it in the way that you did, because of, of really just thinking like, is this going to bring more joy into my work? Is this going to help my community? Is, is this really going to help me? Or is this just going to kind of hurt me in the end? So I yeah, think I mean, important sorry, ultimately, it's just, it's just their fear base, right? And, and if you respond in that way, you're actually feeding their machine, which is, means that they're winning. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very good takeaway. Um, I want to talk about branding um, for a moment with you and really how we're diving into 2018 because you work with a lot of incredible clients, incredible brands, and really kind of being able to fuse a lot of this creative marketing um, you know, fusing the whole world together, so to speak. So I would love to know, what do you kind of see as some some trends or just the way that the marketing game is going to be shifting in 2018 and what can the influencers that are listening today kind of keep in mind or keep in their back pocket, if you will, to try and stay ahead of the game? Again, a very loaded question. Um, I think that people, brands are starting to really appreciate and understand influencers in a much bigger way. Um, So I think that that is a really good thing, um, which means that there is an opportunity to capitalize on those relationships with those brands. So um, I think what influencers can do to set themselves up for success is to develop really great press materials, um, to really be clear on their pricing models, and to develop target lists of brands that they know are growing this year. You know, a great way to do that is reading the magazines, reading the digital and even still print magazines and seeing who's advertising, who's really trying to get their message out in a much bigger way, because clearly that means that they're spending dollars um, on marketing, which means that there's probably peace for influencers. So it's about getting your pricing right, about getting your, your content right, and about getting your target right. And I loved your tip on, you know, kind of seeing what brands are out there, like already spending money, you know, mm-hmm. and, and- Engaging it in that way. Um, well, before we wrap this up, I wanted to ask you a question that I ask everyone that comes on the show, and that is, what does influence mean to you? To me, influence is about having impact in the world around you. Now, I don't necessarily consider myself an influencer in the same way that I feel like you are. Um, my influence circle is is a little bit different because I think I'm a bit older and um, I'm obviously not on the brand side, but for me being an influencer means that I can have impact with my community. So for example, today I went and spoke at a a local high school in a really um, bad neighborhood and I gave back to that community and was able to, um, I think help influence their decision-making process on their education, on their growth. And that's really important to me. Um, influencers as it relates to brands is about truly engaging with their audience in a way that is authentic. And I, you and I've had a conversation. I hate the word authentic. I think we need a new word for that, 
But that's why influences are so important because they've built a community that really trusts and respects them and their decisions and their voice. And I think that is what the future of marketing will become and is starting to evolve into, which is why what you're doing is so important. Well, thank you. And I love your answer. I think that that is poignant and it is extremely relevant. Um, So with that said, I would love to know where can people learn more about you, learn more about Elevate My Brand, and what is coming up for you and Elevate My Brand in 2018? Where we're on all the social channels, of course, um, at Elevate My Brand. Um, And then, of course, anyone can email me directly. I always take on uh, mentees. I always give feedback via email. If anyone has a question, laurel at elevatemybrand.com. For us this year, we've got some really big partnerships happening with brands like Verizon, which are so exciting. Um, I'm speaking all around the country, so stay on our social channels, and um, hopefully we'll be coming to a city near you. You are one of my most favorite speakers, too. I could just no. listen to of knowledge. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. If you are listening today and you want to dive into some of these amazing tactical and legal tips that Laurel shared with us, make sure to head over to theinfluencerpodcast.com where you will find the show notes and all the other goodies that she laid out today. And again, Laurel, thank you so much for your wisdom and for your guidance today. I know that our listeners are going to so appreciate that. Julie, thank you so much for having me. Are you ready to create your own industry-leading influence? For show notes, downloads, and action-based tips, head to www.theinfluencerpodcast.com where you can find out more about this week's episode, guest, and our host, Julie Solomon. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please take a minute to go to iTunes and leave a review so we can help other influencers like yourself build their own successful business.